Welcome back to Two Keto Dudes. This is Carl Franklin from Connecticut in the United States. And in February 2016, I put myself on a ketogenic diet to take control of my metabolism. In just two and a half months, I managed to reverse all my markers of type 2 diabetes with diet alone. As of now, I'm 80 pounds lighter with no signs of diabetes or heart disease. Hi, I'm Richard Morris in Canberra, Australia, and I've been on a ketogenic diet since April 2014. When I started, I was very sick with complications from type 2 diabetes. And within six months of starting a ketogenic diet, all of my biomarkers of disease had disappeared. I've lost about 100 pounds. I've completely turned my health around. And this show is a document of our experiences thriving for years in nutritional ketosis. Yeah, and reversing diabetes. Oh, yeah. And hopefully that might help a few people who are curious about this kind of dietary hacking. If we're not doctors, we don't want to give any medical advice, but we are keen to share our own experiences. We're actually both software developers, so we're not afraid of a little technical detail, are we, Carl? No effing way, man. <laughs> <laughs> we have done some research into our own deranged metabolisms and the science behind them. We share studies that we found in the show notes. And you'll probably work out pretty quickly that we're both foodies. Mm -hmm. We love to cook yep. and we love to eat. Oh, yeah. In every episode, we both share a keto recipe that, you know, you might like. <laughs> <laughs> so let's start podcast number 133, When Bodies Revolt, with Brandon Wen. So, Richard, do we have any apologies or corrections from last week's show? Let's see. Last week was uh, number 132. That's uh, treating chronic pain with physiotherapist Rowena Field. Yeah. Uh, we've got no corrections from that actual show, but I have a correction in general from a show we did a while back where I was talking about uh, doing a respiratory quotient test and a mitochondrial efficiency test yeah, with yeah. Uh, the gadget from MHS. And they did a test at low-carb uh, down under, actually at Gold Coast. And they did a test of me, a very fit exercise trainer, personal trainer, and mm -hmm. a type 1 diabetic who's a triathlete. And the three of us uh, lined up and we each had the test done and it turned out that my mitochondrial efficiency was highest of the three, which yeah. when the guy who did the test told me and he said, oh, wow, that's really high. I haven't seen anything that high since Eamon O'Sullivan. Mm. Well, it turns out that... That's not quite accurate. He'd actually seen a lot more. I, I mean, my my result was 15.9, and normally people who are uh, insulin resistant, are, you know, between 16, most people are between 16 and 17, and a really awesome athlete is going to be between 14 and 15. So I was down on the athletic side of normal. Yeah. I think I might have uh, mischaracterized it by saying it was uh, unusually high result. It's unusually okay. high for somebody who's insulin resistant. So that's my caveat for this week. Very good. Mm. So, let's revisit what a ketogenic diet is. A ketogenic diet is any diet that puts you in a state of ketosis, mm -hmm. where you burn fat for energy rather than glucose. Right. So, to do that, what we did was we ate 20 grams of carbs or less per day, mm -hmm. and we still do. Yeah. Uh, protein is moderate. We use one to one and a half grams per kilogram of lean body mass. Right. You know? And mm -hmm. all of our energy we get from fat <laughs> either the fat on our plate or the fat from that crispy cream that we ate about a decade ago that's right if you're just starting listen to our starting keto show at start.2keto.com 
Yeah. Well, Richard, how was your week? Um, my week was interesting. So uh, it started with a trip to Sydney to see uh, Dr. Paul Mason. And Paul Mason is going to be doing a presentation at Keto Fest down under in yeah. Canberra on the weekend of the 16th of September. That's just this coming weekend. And yes. uh, he's going to be doing a presentation on how a doctor can interpret the results, uh, the diagnostic test results of a ketogenic patient. So it's basically a, here's what you should be looking for. And he was using me as a as a guinea pig. So he, he gave me a complete workup. He's a sports physician as well as a GP, as well as a surgeon. He's uh, really a very intelligent man. And he's going to be very fascinating to hear at KetoFest. Anyway, he did a, this test for me and found a couple of interesting things potentially um i have a low thyroid and so that's something that we're looking into and he's looked into all of my uh, supplements that i'm using and so he's going to talk about that during the presentation but yeah. one of the things he wanted me to do was a glucose tolerance test and i've never done one of those before and this is one of these things where it's a test where uh they give you some glucose to drink it's 75 mils of uh, uh it's, it, it tastes a little bit like uh, flat uh, Sprite. Uh, it tastes awful. And I did that test yesterday from the moment we were recording. And it, the, it was a hell of an experience, let me tell you. The way that an oral glucose tolerance test works is um, you drink some glucose, it's a glucose challenge, and then they test your blood every hour for two hours, uh, both glucose and insulin, and that tells them how fast uh, you dispose of the glucose that you just drank and how much insulin yeah. you needed to make to be able to do that. And that test will, if you can actually do this test um, uh, sort of 10, 15 years before you come di become diabetic and see that you're about to become diabetic in, in a, you know, 10 or 15 years. So, so it's a very useful test for somebody who doesn't know that they're diabetic. Somebody who does know that they're diabetic, it's less useful because it's going to tell you something you already know. And the second right. thing is it's also going to um, be confounded if you're on a low-carb diet because one of the things that happens on a low-carb diet is we become glucose sparing which basically means we make just the minimum amount of glucose to keep our brain and red blood cells that must live on glucose to keep them happy and then the rest of our body runs on fat and so the rest of our body turns down its ability to pull glucose into cells so what you generally have to do when you're low carb is if you're going to do this oral glucose tolerance test you need to wash out for uh, two weeks beforehand you have to eat a, a high carb diet for two weeks before you do the test and then you uh, do the test and, yeah i didn't want to do that but also paul wanted to show okay what's it going to look like if uh, i'm working with a ketogenic patient and i've told them to go ketogenic and they seek a second opinion and that doctor puts them on a glucose tolerance test what's that going to look mm. like and yeah. what that's going to look like is that that person has become diabetic a type one diabetic because of the diet. That's actually not what happens. So, so you know, this this is an in, it was an interesting experiment for him to do. But oh, I I had reactive hypoglycemia after the event. Yeah, I saw you had zero ketones. You posted that picture. It's the first time I've had absolute zero point zero ketones. I mean, I go down to zero point one sometimes, but I almost never have zero point zero. And yeah. not only did I have uh, zero ketones, my glucose was plummeting because I was still making more insulin. The insulin was mm. stopping me from making any more ketones. It was driving oh. glucose into my muscle cells, yeah. which is my greatest sink of glucose. And so my glucose was down to three point six, which you know that it was hypoglycemic, and I was symptomatic. I was. I had the shakes. I had. I was sweating. 
I had. Um, oh man! Uh, yeah, you know, one of the things about hyperglycemia, nobody really should joke about this. It, it, if you've ever had uh, hyperglycemic symptoms, then, then, uh, then you'll know it's like a an overwhelming uh, feeling that something is wrong, but you're not able to uh, use your brain to work out what it is. So it's like a f- extremely frustrating feeling where, you know, I know there's something really wrong with me right now, but I can't think of what it is. And um, so hmm. what I what I did at the time was that I was walking past a bottle of MCT oil that I'd bought recently just <laughs> to try. Yes. And I hey. thought, oh. Hey, maybe I should try that. <laughs> maybe if I drink some MCT oil, I will uh, make some ketones. So I mixed up some MCT oil, probably four tablespoons of the stuff with um, mm. with an Atkins chocolate shake and an espresso and put it in a blender and whizzed that up and drank mm. that. And uh, within about 10 minutes, uh, my ketones were 0.6 and all of my symptoms were gone. And then about wow. 15 minutes later, my ketones were 2.2 and I was flying. So That is amazing. You know, so and, and the thing is that if I'd had taken a glucose tablet, I didn't have any in the house. If I if I'd had a glucose tablet in the house, I would have taken that because that's what you that's what you're supposed to take when you're hypoglycemic. Yeah, um, but that would have just made my glucose go back up again in the roller coaster. So this at least is a way for me at least that worked to be able to quickly give me some ketones because you know a hypoglycemic event when you are making ketones is not an issue at all because your brain just you know equally runs on ketones but if you're not able to make ketones it's dangerous you know what's interesting to me about your story is that how after being fat adapted for so long you can get back on the horse so fast you said 10 to 15 minutes after mct oil and just some fat right you were able to get back into ketosis that is amazing. Yes and no. I wasn't in nutritional ketosis. See, nutritional ketosis requires that you run your insulin low enough so that you can make ketones. Okay. So here's the thing. The difference between MCT and regular fat, long-chain fats, is long-chain fats get packaged up in chylomicrons and shipped around to everywhere but the liver first. And so, mm. you know, your fat cells get a taste, your muscle cells get a taste, all the cells of your body get a taste, and then the liver gets a taste. MCTs, however, they go straight into the portal vein and they travel with, with glucose and with uh, all of the water-soluble nutrients go into the portal vein straight to the liver first and the liver gets to decide what it's going to do with them. Ah, right. And when it gets into the cells, uh, the MCTs diffuse straight into the mitochondria. So if you have high insulin, uh, fats can't get into your mitochondria. That's the reason why people who have hyperinsulinemia ha- are so fat. It's not that they're storing fat, it's that they're not burning it. They're not able to burn right. it in their, in their mitochondria. Right. Medium chain triglycerides, um, you can, th- they basically have an all access pass. They, 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 they go straight up the portal vein, straight into the liver, straight into the mitochondria. And as soon as you overload those mitochondria, from the, uh, their overload their energy demands, they start exporting ketones to the rest of your body. So you're making ketones, but it doesn't necessarily mean that you're in ketosis. That's right. It doesn't necessarily mean that you've depleted all your glycogen stores and yeah. all of that. Yeah. It's kind of like, it's not really exogenous ketones. It's really sort of prepackaged fats that can be quickly turned into ketones. Exogenous ketones are totally other fish. We did a whole episode on those and uh, there's a lot of good reasons why I would never touch them. Um, and you yeah. can hear me talk about that in that, that, so, in that episode. So as of now, how long has it been since you did that glucose test? It has been uh, probably 28 hours. And do you feel like you're bouncing back? 
I mean, how do you feel right now? Yeah, I feel quite good. One thing I did was I put a continuous glucose monitor on for this test. It's the first time I've okay. ever done that. You can hear that in the background just clicking off and my glucose is 5.2. So that's my normal physiological range. And yesterday, my, my glucose jumped up to 12.6 during the test. Okay. Yeah. So my observation was that, you know, for me, the longer I'm uh, fat adapted, the quicker it is for me to bounce back from, uh, you know, and I've done nothing like drink a glass of straight glucose but you know i've had my you know like everybody i've had my bumps yeah and it 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 just takes less time to get back on the horse yeah is what i'm that that was the observation i was making but i I was obviously wrong in the science there well the longer you stay on the horse the easier it is to get back on one yeah yeah (laughs) yeah that's that's the trick so so anyway that was my week plus getting a whole bunch of keto fest stuff happening and also um getting the spare room ready because we're gonna house guests arriving next week (laughs) yeah i can't wait (laughs) i can't wait so how was your week Carl? well my week was really good um I spent a lot of time, and, and I'll tell everybody what's going on. Y- mm. You know, obviously, Richard, and Brandon mm-hmm. knows, but the people don't know. So, we, Richard and I have invested in some new gear that is going to help us do live streaming at Keto Fest events, right. help me do live streaming at uh, Carl's Keto Kitchen, mm-hmm. and help you. You're going to do some live streaming events Absolutely. Uh, in Canberra. Mm. And and it's the Sling Studio, and and you may have seen the ads on Facebook yep. or on other places if you're interested in. The, it's kind of revolutionary because this is the first sort of multi-camera shoot hardware software solution that is wireless. Mm. And, and so the idea is that you have this Wi-Fi beacon or whatever, you know, the home base, and then you have these little things that you attach to cameras that can either be handheld cameras, cameras on tripods. It's a little Wi-Fi broadcaster that connects from the HDMI out of your DSLR or your video camera. And uh, it connects to the home base. Or you can use smartphones or tablets or anything with Wi-Fi that has a camera that can run Android or iOS. And, and this can be a camera too. So you wow. get four of these sources and then you use an iPad application to switch in real time the camera shot and mm. stream to YouTube. Now, this might not seem incredible to lay people, but uh, the price point is, a, you know, uh, I'm going to say a quarter of what it would be to get a TriCaster, which is sort of the state-of-the-art exactly. hardware software mm-hmm. solution to do this right now. Yeah. Yeah, and the fact that you can do it on an iPad and just do it wirelessly is incredible. I mean, at at, at KetoFest, we had to use 100-foot HDMI cables to get from the camera close to the stage to, you know, the, the, the live streaming thing. And, uh, you know, it, this is just a quantum leap forward. So, I've been working with that in the studio because I'm bringing it to KetoFest down under and mm-hmm. we're going to use that to stream there yeah not only that but i've convinced the band the franklin brothers band to do <laughs> a live streamed concert uh, a steely dan tribute concert i know people may may not know this about the franklin brothers band you know the the theme music for two keto dudes is the franklin brothers band with john Schofield. Yeah. Mm-hmm. okay it's a song i wrote and it's very steely dan kind of music isn't it 
Absolutely. So the Franklin Brothers Band, we do, you know, 10 or 12 Steely Dan covers, plus we have our own original music. I'm not going to say it's a direct ripoff, but we were definitely influenced by them and a million other bands, right? Mm -hmm. So we're doing an event that's a live stream only concert. We're not selling in-person tickets using this technology. And of course, you know, a, a really well done live mix from the studio. And this is going to be on September 28th at 8 p.m. Eastern time. And you can buy a ticket online for 18 bucks at live.pwop.com. So there's my pitch. And that's what I've been working on this week. Besides, you know, smoking ribs and having a good time. (laughs) (laughs) Nice. So there you go. Well, uh, let's give away some swag. Yeah, every week we pick a lucky winner at random from the members of the Two Kilo Dudes fan club. Yes, and today we're giving away a treasure trove of stuff from vendors we like, all of which you can find at fanclub.2keto.com. We also need to mention a caveat. Most of our vendors can only ship inside the United States. Yep, that's right. (laughs) However, if we happen to pick someone outside the United States, we will find something to send you, but it probably won't be the treasure trove. Um, that is until we can find an affordable means of distribution. You recently found uh, some products in Australia right. that you can send to people that we pick in Australia. About 10% of our listeners are Australians. And so there's a one in 10 chance that someone we pick at random is going to be from Australia. And so we're putting together a bunch of Australian vendors of ketogenic appropriate products. And mm-hmm. uh, we're going to do the same thing there. So what we'll do, probably do uh, in future podcasts is we'll call out these uh, these vendors as potential um, uh, providers of swag. Yeah. If we happen to pick out an Australian member of the audience. The, the thing is we don't know until after we've picked the person at random that's and then right. we've contacted them by email that they're in Australia, and that's after the show's been recorded. So it's not, it's, and it'd be nice to be able to know in advance and then we could actually say, you know, um, these are the Australian products they're going to be getting. Yeah. We obviously yeah. Can't, we can't ship anything with meat in it from the US to Australia because of Australia's very strict quarantine. Yeah, yeah, so, yeah. for example, the broth we couldn't ship from America, unfortunately. Yeah. But we, we will find products in the UK, in Canada, mm-hmm. in South America, in all the major continents. We'll find products to send to all you people. So, so like I said, we pick somebody every week, and this week is no different. So, who is our winner this week? Today's winner is Lori Rottmeyer. Congratulations, Lori. Yeah. Oh, I got the I got the clappers right here. You got the clapper. Carl's got the clap, people. <laughs> I got so, the clappers. So, uh, let's tell everybody what Lori is what. <laughs> All right. Well, the first thing we're giving away is a Two Keto Dudes coffee mug that says, Keep Calm and Keto On. And a signed copy of Lies My Doctor Told Me by Dr. Ken Berry online at lies.2keto.com. And a bottle of Stevia Sweet Barbecue Sauce. Developed by a barbecue restaurant owner who plans to change the restaurant industry forever. Only two carbs per serving online at steviasweetbbq.com. And a cheese making kit from Wine and Way. Uh, Pam Zorn gave everybody at Keto Fest a kit so that they could make their own fresh mozzarella. Oh, yeah. That's available also online at wineandway.com. That's W I N E A N D W H E Y.com. And a six ounce cup of beef bone broth concentrate from Birthright Nutrition. Just add water, heat, stir, and enjoy. Jam packed with good stuff. More at birthrightnutrition.com. 
We're also giving away a bottle of Remag Magnesium Solution, developed by Dr. Carolyn Dean, along with a copy of her protocol and the Keto and Magnesium Manifesto. That's available online at magmiracle.com. We're also giving away a big bottle of fasting drops from Keto Chow. It's a well-formulated blend of electrolytes that you just drop a little in your water, and fasting will be a breeze. Online at fastingdrops.2keto.com. And two bottles of Sated, one chocolate, one vanilla. Online at sated.2keto.com. And from Keto & Co., a sampler six-pack, a bag of brownies, four bags of different flavored cauliflower rices, and a bag of flatbread. Online at ketoand.co. And if you don't want to wait to win some swag, you can buy all sorts of it online at gear.2keto.com. Yes, that's right. And that brings us squarely to the segment that we call... Are you okay there, Carl? <laughs> I, I don't know. I had a moment. I, I think you pulled your freckle out. <laughs> <laughs> okay, That's what do you got? Funny. All right. Well, my mail is from Keyhan in the forums. Mm-hmm. That's uh, forum.2keto.com, yep. the ketogenic forums. And so I started a thread in March called I'm Losing Weight Again After a One-and-a-Half-Year Stall, mm-hmm. where I talked about eating one big fatty meal every day all pork belly, and that worked for me for a few weeks. But turns out I really couldn't sustain it, but it did work for a while. Anyway, Keyhan says, Well, Carl, I too have been effectively stalled over the last year or so and have been hovering in the 290s all that time. I followed your lead about two weeks after you shifted to a one really fatty meal a day regime. Five pounds came off in the second week and another five in the week after, then another five over the last week, and today I hit 278 pounds. Is my stall truly over? I don't know. It feels <laughs> like it, though. I just wanted to say thank you for the inspiration. Nice. Yeah, very nice. Kehan, uh, that's great news, and congratulations. Yeah, the thing was that I just couldn't sustain it because I have a family, and I have a wife, and she doesn't eat pork belly and I had to make things for her that she could eat. (laughs) And I, quite frankly, I got tired of pork belly after a couple of weeks. I think it was. Yeah. So I think that's the thing with all of these, uh, eat only X diets is that, um, you you kind of get tired of them and, and it causes you to eat, start eating less. And you know, that, that is part of the, part of the, the trick with, you know, eat only steak for a month kind of diets. Yeah, boy, it sure is. I'm generally not a fan of them, but um, this is one of these things that Megan Ramos told us in Breckenridge about just changing things up. You know, what you did there was you changed things up and you did get off a little stall. Yeah. And you got off for a, for a while. But, you know, it, it wasn't sustainable because eating only one food is not sustainable. I mean, no, that, it's not. You, no, it's, it's not. It's nutritionally incomplete. So, you know. Yeah. But, um, you know, it, it's a little hack. You know, it's a little but thing you, you can do for a week to try and lose a bit of weight. Right. But you add these hacks together mm. and you have a, a palette of things to choose from that you can do to switch things right. up. And I think, yeah, you know, that's probably a good idea. Yeah. Or, f- you know, fast for three days or five days. Or, you know, these are different ways to, to, to give your metabolism, uh, a, you know, change the floor under it a little bit so that your metabolism has to become a little bit more flexible and it has to, you yeah. know. Um, you know, deal with uh, uh, you know a slight change in your intake, and uh, it becomes more flexible. So, yep. uh, anyway, that's uh, a great story. Great story. What do you got, Richard? So, mine's kind of similar. This actually comes also from the ketogenic forum. 
It actually started out with somebody flagged one of the posts on Terry's accountability thread. And this is a, a thread that t- Terry's a New Zealand guy, a, a middle-aged gentleman from New Zealand who found that he was plateaued. And he basically tells us what he was going through to try and get off the plateau. But essentially what he's done is he's found that if he uses a macro calculator to tell him how many fat macros a day to eat, then he found that he was able to get off his plateau. Hmm. The thread was quite interesting. What drew me to it, obviously, was somebody flagged a message. and so, In fact, somebody flagged two messages and I accepted one flag and denied the other one. So just to okay. try and be as even-handed as I possibly could. Uh, but essentially that the flag was an argument between two people of whether you should eat fat to satiety or whether you should eat fat macros. You should eat so many grams of fat and, and stop eating at that point. And I wanted to comment in this in this thread because this is actually a mail from me in response to a thread that was getting a little bit overheated about people arguing it's fat to satiety on one side and people are arguing you can't eat too much fat otherwise you'll not burn body fat. Yeah. Essentially, I wanted to talk about this idea of satiety. And I uh, I said, you know, when you eat to the point of satiety, then your body is telling you that you have adequate energy. Uh, if you just uh, plain want to eat more at that point, you know, you eat to satiety and then, heck, I just want to eat more, um, then you are eating beyond the point of adequate energy. And I think these are both non-controversial statements I think most people would agree with. This does, however, describe the difference between eating fat to satiety and eating as much as you want. Right. And it's a subtle difference, but for some people there's no difference. If you don't want to eat anymore once you hit to satiety, then those two statements are identical. Mm. You know, eating as much as you want is the same as eating to satiety. For some people, however... All you can eat is a bus stop well past I'm no longer hungry. <laughs> you know what right, I mean? That's right. And the question of why some people want to eat and eat and eat way past satiety requires a discussion on the psychology of eating disorders and food craveability and manufactured bliss points. And that discussion sort of that's well beyond my personal expertise. But I would personally love to to observe some real experts discuss that particular subject. Yeah, absolutely. I'm going to develop a few statements here that are, uh, that are controversial, but they are something I've thought a lot about, and I believe they're supported by the evidence, at least as a viable hypothesis that have yet to be, in, to be experimentally invalidated. And the first is that if you eat a few more calories than you need, so you eat to satiety and then you eat a small amount more, then what uh, can be observed to happen is that your metabolic rate rises dynamically for your body to carry out some optional calorically expensive tasks. For example, you might run your body at a fraction of a degree warmer. And you might do that because your immune system runs slightly better when you run just a little bit warmer. Right. As you increase your energy past what your body has told you, okay, we have enough, um, you will actually use some of that energy. The corollary of that is that if the amount that you want to eat past the tidy is small enough, you don't need to gain extra body fat. Your body will use that extra energy for, for useful things that it otherwise wouldn't have done because it's, you know, it's trying to, to conserve energy. Uh, another corollary is that as you eat more and more, there comes a point where you will start partitioning some of that extra energy off to storage. There's no more uses that you can use that for. So you're going to put it into storage. Yeah. So there is a point where if you continue to eat, you will store more energy. And eventually there will be a limit to how much your metabolic rate can rise and then every extra calorie that you eat, you store. So I think that's pretty non-controversial. I think everyone pretty much accepts that. Yep, I agree. Yeah, then there's the opposite case. Uh, what if you stop short of satiety every day? What if you always get up from the table just a little bit hungry? 
Um, you know, because you're used to denying yourself, you're used to, you know, maybe you've got a fat macro that stops you before you're full. So, well, the first thing that the body will do is it'll reduce your metabolic rate a little. Yep. So maybe you run a little bit colder, especially at the extremities, your fingers and toes. Mm. If you undereat a small amount, then you probably don't lose much, if any, weight. If you undereat a little bit more, then the next phase will be to find extra energy sources, and your body will find that in two places. Firstly, if it has access to body fat, it will prefer to get all of the extra energy from body fat. Um, and why I say if you have access, you have to have, first of all, you have to have enough body fat. If you've got no body fat, obviously, do a thought experiment. If you have zero body fat and you need extra energy, you'll find it somewhere other than that zero body fat, which you can no longer give up. You also have to have not only have some body fat, but you also need to have your insulin low enough to be able to get energy out of the fat and low enough so that you can burn it. Yeah. So if you can't get all of your shortfall from body fat, then you can also burn small amounts of lean tissue for energy. That's the alternate place that you can get energy from. So mm. what happens is if you eat short of satiety quite a fair bit, you will burn some body fat, your body will give up some body fat, and it will burn some lean tissue for energy. Okay. So it's hard to consistently under each satiety because you don't know when satiety is going to happen. You can't say, oh, I'm an, I know satiety is going to happen at uh, 11.53, uh, so I'm going to stop eating at 11.51. You don't know when it's going to happen. But one way is to follow a fat macro. Uh, and this is why I personally don't think fat macros are very useful. Um, you don't know where satiety is going to be. It changes every day. It can change every hour. It's going to change based on what you ate, what exercise you've done, um, right. uh, you know, whether you're fighting a fever. There's thousands of things that are going to be factored into your body deciding when it's going to say we've got enough energy yeah i guess the point is that the fat macro that you got from some guy on the internet may be short or it may be long if it's short you'll experience metabolic slowdown and your weight will yo-yo while you're losing lean tissue and if it's long you'll actually gain some weight so back to fat to satiety if you get your energy mostly from fat and you stop as soon as you feel like you're not hungry anymore your body will find a homeostasis where it's optimized your body fat for survival and reproduction. And that point may not be as lean as the model on the magazine cover that you want to look like. It may not be as lean as that guy on Facebook who refuses to put a shirt on. But if you eat fat to satiety, <laughs> I believe you're going to plateau at the optimal amount of body fat for your context. So basically what you're saying is eat when you're hungry, stop when you're full. Exactly. And eat to satiety. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. It's a way to reduce my entire wall of text into one sentence, but congratulations. (laughs) Well, you know, you had to explain it. I mean, yeah, yeah. There are a lot of people who say, do this, but we don't understand it. Yeah. And and a lot of people who say, you know, the law of thermodynamics, the first law of thermodynamics insists on calories in, calories out being adequate to describe why you store energy and, you know. Yeah. Your body's going to decide how much energy it's going to use based on factors that you're barely aware of. That's bogus. (laughs) All right. (laughs) So that's my long mail. (laughs) Well, it's a good one. So now it's time to bring on our guest. And this is a very special moment for me because uh, Brandon Wen is our friend. Yep. He is our editor. Mm -hmm. He edits this show, Two Keto Dudes. He does. He also edits podcasts for me in other areas um the software world but let me read his bio and he'll tell his story Mm. brandon is the owner of sound thoughts llc an audio production company focusing on podcast production and publication for companies and individuals interested in creating high quality audio podcasts 
In 2012, his lifelong passion for meeting people and newly inspired desire to learn about different cultures firsthand led him to give up all material possessions that wouldn't fit in a single backpack. When at the age of 30, he set out to live a nomadic lifestyle. It's a fascinating story. Over the past five years, he's traveled to over 30 countries on four continents and has no intention of settling down anytime soon. Brandon's motto in life is simple. Minimize your possessions to maximize your life experience and deepen your personal connections. But there's obviously a connection to keto here. (laughs) I'm going to let Brandon tell the story. Welcome, Brandon Wen. Hey, guys. It's uh, it's interesting to be on the microphone with you guys instead of just listening back. <laughs> yeah. No kidding. It's great to have you on. You've been editing this show for a long time. I mean, I started editing myself, and then I handed it over to you. Yeah, that was about a year ago. Yep. And before that, Brandon has been editing .NET Rocks, Run As Radio, and uh, before that, um, some other podcasts. But... He, he's been doing podcast editing for, for Pwop Studios in uh, some capacity for years and years and years. But the thing that I, I like about you, Brandon, is that you're fearless. You're just willing to say, I know what my capacities are. I know what I can do. I'm going to say yes. I'm going to jump in. And I don't care about, you know, egos being hurt. I'm just going to do a good job and stuff that I don't understand. I'm going to ask a question. You're just like the a, a, a really great person and a really great employee. So I had to say that up front. I really appreciate that. And and um not just in the audio world, but also um just as a as a personal connection in my life, I've always honored you as a, a mentor. I've really appreciated having you as someone to look up to. So that coming from you really does mean a lot to me. Ah, oh, that's nice. Everybody. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> So, Brandon, had you heard of Keto before you started editing a ketogenic podcast? I had. Um, I have a friend who is a skydiver, mm-hmm. and he wanted to go from renting equipment that he dove with to actually buying a set. And he was heavy enough that the equipment he was looking at was going to be more expensive than he wanted to spend. And so, he was using the ketogenic diet to reduce his body mass. Um, so that he could actually jump with a lighter rig. Nice. He would have ended up saving himself about $2,000 on the equipment. Wow. wow. Yeah. It's a big difference when you're <laughs> talking about, you know, jumping out of a plane with, a, you know, extra 40 pounds or so. Right. He had a different approach to it. His was more of like four days keto and then a day of replenishing glycogen stores, which mm-hmm. at a minimum, it gave me the rough understanding of ketosis and, um, the body running on ketones. So the first time that Carl and I actually sat down and he explained to me what he was doing, uh, it was not new information, um, but it was definitely, you know, Carl had taken it to the next level and was a little bit more committed to the science behind it. And it was obviously not as much a fad. And, mm-hmm. you know, like Carl said, he and I really do go way back. Um, we've been working together for over a decade and I've known him for years before that, just as a local musician from the same community. Mm-hmm, and sure. I watched Carl attempt a number of different fads or diets or lifestyle changes or all sorts of things to try and gain control of his weight. And, you know, some things would kind of work for a little while and then wouldn't, but, um, Watching what happened with him through, you know, the keto lifestyle definitely for me 
grabbed my attention and, and had me willing to sort of listen a little closer. And then, you know, finally actually editing the podcasts uh, and hearing both of you tell your own stories and back it up with real science, not just opinions that the two of you shared and, you know, yeah, yeah, I agree with him. And I didn't get a harumph <laughs> out of that guy. And, you know, <laughs> it, it was... Uh, it was really enlightening because there are, especially, you know, today in the digital space with podcasts and um, Instagrams and all sorts of tweets and whatnot, it's hard to sift through what is an echo chamber right. and what is scientifically based. Oh, yeah. Well, Brandon, I got to mention to the people that you are not an overweight guy. In fact, you are very skinny and always have been. So, I want you to tell your story. Starting from, you know, being diagnosed with ADD at age 14 and all the things that you've had to endure. And, and the, the title of this podcast is your, When Your Body Revolts, Your Body Really Hasn't Been Kind to You. And, and I just want to let, you know, tell your story. Yeah. So, like you said, um, I was 14 years old and was diagnosed with ADD and put on Ritalin, which in hindsight, I've come to the conclusion that I was actually misdiagnosed. I didn't have ADD. I had a pretty severe case of anxiety. And having spoken to both of my parents as a, an adult and a peer in their lives, they've both kind of acknowledged that from a very, very young age, I was very nervous. I was very anxious. I was very tense just in general, you know, whether it was uh, a touch of OCD, just kind of portraying itself in this constant state of anxiety. It's a little bit unclear, but I was a, I was a tense child. Well, you have what I consider CDO, right. which is OCD, <laughs> but it's in alphabetical right, order. Because the letters right. just look better when they're put in alphabetical order. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yeah, that that combined with my tendency to be an audiophile is what really led me into the, the audio production space for sure, is that I can't listen to someone's podcast and just let mistakes be hanging there. Like, it makes my brain tweak and it has to be fixed. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I was, I was 14 years old. They put me on Ritalin, which, because it's a methamphetamine, it speeds up the processes in the brain enough that symptomatically it solved the problems. But it gave me even further problems. And before I was old enough to test for my driver's license, I was regularly being seen by a chiropractor for back problems. Interesting. I mean, that's just an abnormal thing at, at 15 years old to be going to a chiropractor. It just doesn't make sense. Oh. And you pretty much grew up like most of us eating the sad or the standard American diet, right? Yeah, exactly. My mom did the best that she could to raise her kids as healthy as she could with the advice and the education that she had about what health and nutrition looks like, mm. which was that, you know, fat and sugar are bad things and that protein is the most important thing. So, I grew up with the leanest mm. cuts of beef we could get with potatoes and carrots or white meat chicken with rice and veggies, yeah. pasta with the leanest ground beef that you can possibly imagine, um, those types of things. Mm. And, and you know, the thing she got right for sure was to avoid sugar, um, but the idea of avoiding fat and particularly saturated fat, you know, she had been convinced by the, the standard ideals that those types of foods are foods not to feed your children if you want your kids to grow up strong and healthy. Right. And unfortunately for me, 
um, my, <laughs> my adolescent rebellion, um, didn't really take place until I was, uh, in my young adulthood, which is at a time when I really, I, I turned to sugar, um, as a, as a coping mechanism for what I now understand was anxiety. Um, but, uh, that's, mm. that's getting a little bit ahead. There, there were some other complications in my adolescence, particularly actually with my mother's health. Mm. Uh, she went through a period of about six years without the capacity to be able to find a diagnosis, without finding a doctor that could understand what was happening. But she was having, uh, a combination of a migraine and a seizure Whoa. in the worst times about three or four times a week. Wow. And they were Whew. debilitating. Mm. Even after they were done, she was incapacitated for hours, sometimes a day or two at a time. Wow. So, you know, for me, watching her go through the process of going from one doctor to another to another and each doctor having that sort of, you know, hubris of, I can figure this out. I I know exactly what's going on. And, and th those last doctors were quacks and they obviously didn't understand the thing that I know and that my specialty tells me I have the answer to everything. And then right. she'd get her hopes up. Hmm. They'd charge our family an enormous amount of money for medical expenses, um, sometimes put her through painstaking procedures or you know, rigorous tests and come out the other end, sometimes worse, but never better. How many times did that happen? I lost count. Wow. I got to the point where I stopped putting my hope in the doctors that were that were still convincing her that she could have hope. And so before I turned 18 years mm. old, I had come to the conclusion that the medical community and the medical institution in and of itself was just broken. So by the time I hired you and we started hanging out together, I realized that you had so many allergies to different foods that it was impossible to either invite you over for dinner because like if there was garlic being cooked, it, it would be in the air and you would get ill. Uh, you couldn't go out to eat because there were so many things you couldn't eat. And tell us about that. How did, how did you, how did that come about? all of these allergies. Yeah. So it's kind of hard to know for certain because again, I haven't gone through and done a whole lot of, you know, investigative work with the medical science behind it. But so let me, let me take a step back. Yeah. The way that I started understanding the importance of food and how food relates to everything is like you said, I've always been slender. Um, so slender that when I entered middle school, which is sixth grade, I was five feet tall and only weighed about 60 pounds. So that means that for every inch of height that I had, I only weighed a pound for each of those inches. Wow. So I was really skinny. Wow. And I could eat and eat and eat. Actually, that year for my birthday, um, I went to a pizza shop and I had a large pizza for myself and ate it in a single sitting. <laughs> wow. And was still this just bean pole of, of a guy, just lanky and slender. And I bought two books when I was in middle school that I used to try and get myself to put on mass to actually try and get bigger. Um, I bought Arnold Schwarzenegger's Modern Encyclopedia of Bodybuilding. That was awesome. <laughs> <laughs> All right, you little kids, sit down and shut up or I'll blow your head off. <laughs> yeah. Sorry. <laughs> it's not a tuna. <laughs> it's not a tuna. It's a, it's a steak. <laughs> 
his book was really good on the practical application of the exercise and the fitness part of it. Um, and then the other book that I read was uh, a book yeah. called The Truth by a guy named Frank Sepp or Frank Seppi. I've never quite understood how to pronounce it. Um, and that was the one that his whole point was, it's less about what you do in the gym and more about what you do in the kitchen. This idea that fueling your body mm. with the right fuel is what's going to determine the output that your body has. Amen. And he was really big on food journaling. So make a meal, write down the macros, and then respond in that journal with how you're feeling after you eat those foods. Right. And it was when I started that, uh, that was also the time frame that I started buying my own foods and, you know, designing my own meals where, again, my mom did the best she could, but came from a household where, you know, in her mom's opinion, her mom had two spices, salt and pepper. <laughs> right. But w what was the list of foods that you couldn't eat? And, and you maybe still can't. It's quite extensive. Right. So, garlic, onions, almonds, olives, flax, dairy, eggs, soy, peanut, and coconut, or anything that's been pickled, cured, dried, fermented, aged, or smoked. Oh. Oh. Cool. Oh, my God. So, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know, Richard. You poor baggy, you're in hell. <laughs> I know. So I got to tell this story. So, <laughs> it was a couple of years ago. I took you out for dinner or lunch at a sushi place. And you're like, I can eat sushi. No problem. <laughs> so, we get these, we get this sushi, which is essentially just rice and fish. And during, you know, I'm, I'm talking to you during the whole thing and you say, yeah, I can't have anything fermented, which I, I didn't know before that, right? I, I knew about the general list, dairy and garlic and onions and all that stuff, but. Yeah, I remember this story. This story is when I realized what was in sushi rice. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Right. yeah. Vinegar. <laughs> vinegar. Vinegar yeah. is fermented. And right before they brought it to the table, I'm like, oh my God, there's rice vinegar and that they use that. With the rice. Yeah. You can't eat that. And so, we talked to them and they said, no problem, no problem. We'll just bring you the fish. Huh. And, oh, my God, I, I felt like I could have killed this guy. <laughs> well, I mean, I guess the, quote, bright side is that it wouldn't kill me. The, the reaction for something like vinegar turns into, I pass out for a while and wake up with a fever, muscle ache, swelling in the base of the brain stem and, and the neck. Okay, but that first part, you pass out for a while, that would have sent yeah, me over the edge, yeah. dude. I'll be like, I've killed him. <laughs> I don't know. I'm sorry. It, was, it must have been the fish. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, I mean, uh, you know, going back to, I have plenty of anecdotes about this. I was in, um, I was in Ireland at one point and I was at this one, you know, just regular old pub. And I, I told the, the waitress, Hey, can I please speak with the kitchen staff? I have a lot of food allergies and brought me over to the chef's window. And, you know, I told him what I was allergic to. And I said, you know, do you have any advice? And he said, yeah, a 45 to your dome. <laughs> oh man. Like just, just kill yourself. It's not worth eating my friend. <laughs> yeah. oh, no. <laughs> don't you love the Irish? Oh. <laughs> they don't sugarcoat it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> They'll just come right out and tell you. <laughs> so, um, actually, though, to give him credit, 
he did come up with one of the best meals that I've ever been prepared in a restaurant. Um, I couldn't even tell you. I can't remember what it was. Although at the time, um, I was still mm. eating very, very heavy on the carb side of things. So, it was mostly rice and veggies. Yeah. What do you think uh, causes these allergies, Brandon? Well, so here's one of the things that I use the word allergy when I am ordering a meal, but when we get really specific to the science of it, um, it's not a histamine-based reaction. Mm -hmm. So, I call them sensitivities or reactions, but I like to use the word allergy because the word allergy um, food staff has been trained to know yeah. this word equals it liability. Flags, exactly. Yeah. Yep. It means right. we, we can get sued <laughs> if we kill this guy. So, it's like, okay. You know- yeah. yeah, I'm not the only one in my family with the issue, so it's hard to tell if it's genetic or, you know, we moved around a lot. Um, my dad was in the military when I was young, and then my parents divorced, and there were a couple of different moves between, you know, my mom being a single mother and then remarrying and moving in with our stepdad. And so, it's hard to tell if it was an environmental trigger that we lived in a house with some sort of weird mold or if it's a, an an odd and unique adverse reaction to a genetic predisposition yep. plus Lyme disease, or it's, I honestly don't have an answer to it. The answer that I came up with was don't eat those things and feel okay. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Wow. That was my simplification of, I don't, you know, it, it took a little while to get my head around it, but by my early twenties, I had come to the conclusion that, Food inherently is not entertainment, not for me. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So, when did you begin to realize that there was something you could do um, with carbohydrates or without carbohydrates to um, to help? And and how did that start? Well, my rebellious years came into my 20s when I was finally living on my own and making a life of my own and having realized what foods I could and couldn't eat. Um, I concluded that once I found uh, cookies, chocolate chip cookies that were actually safe for me among that whole list of things I can't eat and um, lactose-free <laughs> milk, it was not uncommon for me numerous times in a week to buy a box of cookies, a container of lactose-free milk, and just polish them off in a sitting. <laughs> and meals were accompanied with orange juice, um, especially as I traveled. Rice and beans are very, very inexpensive in a lot of cultures, and in those that those are less common, pasta is huge. So, yeah. my diet for years was mm. very, very carbohydrate-based. I would dare say that I had probably two-thirds of my macros coming from carbs for years and years and years. Mm. Which is actually the high end of the dietary guidelines is, you know, 45 to 65% is the, is the guideline right. for carbohydrates. So you're right on the top range. Yeah. But it's interesting that you were eating carbs because they were safe. Right. Not because for any other reason you, you couldn't eat so many foods that carbs were safe and therefore why not? Right. Well, and I had also been brought up and educated into the idea that fat is bad for you. Right, yeah. Mm. There are still moments when I'm looking at a ribeye that I've made for myself and I see that big, huge dollop of fat in the middle, right? And, and I look at it and I go, <laughs> I know that's fuel, yeah. but in the back of my head, you shouldn't eat that part because just the conditioning from years and years <laughs> of yeah. that yeah. being something that is in theory not good for you. Um, is still kind of built into my psyche somewhere in the back. But 
have fortunately, um, with my conscious mind, gotten over that. And a lot of that really did come from, you know, I, I really credit you guys a lot. You're, you guys are always saying, you know, N plus one. I think it's, it's even more than that. It's N plus one plus one plus one plus one. And having heard you guys talking <laughs> yeah. all the time, sure. Um, I had been editing the podcast for, I guess it had been about two months or so. And at the time I was living in Thailand and had found, uh, a really good network chiropractor. Which, by the way, we we got to tell that story. (laughs) (laughs) Brandon was working in the studio for me like 10 years ago. And he's like, you know what? I'm out of here. I got (laughs) to go see the world. And I said, fine, bring a laptop, you know, find bandwidth. You can edit from anywhere. Get some good headphones. Go for it. And that's exactly what he did. So he, he's gone to Starbucks in Thailand to upload the shows. And we're talking three or four shows a week. Yeah. yeah. Brandon right now is recording from a hotel in Uruguay. And he's yeah. pulled the entire bed apart to make a recording studio. <laughs> to Dude, reduce all we, reflective surfaces. We are all jealous of your lifestyle. I don't yeah. know how you do it, but God bless you, man. That's great. Uh, you know what it, the um, the mentality that makes it um, sustainable is? I wake up every day and and believe, truly believe to myself that one of two things will happen every day. Number one, I will have a great day, or number two, I will end the day with a great story. <laughs> you can have a great day or a great and sometimes story. Sometimes both of them happen. <laughs> yeah, when you're really lucky, the great day turns into a great story, but even the shitty days end up turning into a good story. Yeah. Nice. <laughs> there are days that end with uh, the story being, so I'm asleep on the third floor balcony of a hotel <laughs> that didn't have any room for me, and I'm sleeping on and under cardboard, having scaled the outside of the building during a thunderstorm that's rolling in on an island. <laughs> but there right. are drums going on all night that I can hear, and they're pretty yeah. cool. So you know, and then there's there's other stories where uh, a hike to the top of a mountain yields the view of both the Atlantic and the Pacific at the same time from the same spot. Oh, oh man. nice. All right. So enough fantasy. So you're you're listening to two keto dudes, you're editing the show. Yeah. What happened? The correlation that started kind of popping up in my mind was all of this talk about how a high insulogenic state can be correlated to inflammation. Mm. Right. And the chiropractors that I had gone to were constantly stating that there was inflammation in the discs in my spine, that um, it wasn't so much that I had, you know, back problems in alignment. It wasn't so much that there was real damage. It was just that inflammation was causing problems with some of the nerves being pressured and, and put in the wrong place. So, right. I figured, you know, what the heck, let's, let's start with the science. Let's do the research first. So, I went to the, the chiropractor I was seeing in Thailand, worked from a hospital, and because he's a, an MD, was able to order me a blood test just for the HbA1c. Nice. Um, having listened to the show, mm-hmm. I knew that that was one of those really important markers. I knew yeah. that there's a whole bunch of other stuff that I didn't understand. And now that I look back, um, I wish that I had gone and done, you know, uh, a CBC and a CMP and like all of that stuff. So if there are any, you know, new listeners that are about to get into this and you have the availability, I really 
recommend you do as much blood work as you can because yes. those numbers are going to mean something to you down the road when you don't even realize that they'll mean something to you. But right. being able to see their transition is going to mean a lot. At the at the very least, CRP, yep. insulin. Yeah. You know, your A1C is very important. Your fasting glucose isn't that important. but mm. and And then your lipids, of course. But- the the thing that most people miss is CRP, C-reactive protein, and uh, insulin. And you'd be surprised at how many people were like, "Did they check your insulin?" No, I don't know. <laughs> right? You know? Yeah, it's amazing. So here I am in Thailand, and I I get the minimum. I go and I get my HbA1c checked, thinking to myself, you know, like, well, I mean, I eat a lot of sugar, so but you're thin, you're thin, you should be okay. Yeah, I'm skinny, right? That's yeah. That's exactly the thing is that even the doctor himself looked at me and he was like, "Are, are you sure that's what you want to do?" I'm like, "Yeah, I I want to yeah. know this metric." Yeah. Mm. To be honest with you, in my mind, I was going and getting blood work to justify the fact that I could keep eating cookies all day long. Exactly. Like, yeah. That's what I was going to get. <laughs> out of this. Okay. Brandon the cookie monster. <laughs> I am a cookie monster. I've always been a cookie monster. So, you're going for the cookie monster metric. Yeah. <laughs> yeah exactly. Yep. I'm thinking, okay, if it's 5.3, 5.4, I'm still in the range. I, I'm fine because I'm, yeah, yeah <laughs> right. more cookies, more orange juice with every meal, more, you know, lattes with, yep. you know, uh, you know, ex- whatever. So, what was it? It came back 6.0. Wow. Hmm. That's pre-diabetic. Yeah, that's yeah. that's right there on that line of y- you really need to pay yeah. attention to what you're putting yeah. in your body. Your body has said no more. Mm. That really snapped me into it. And I, I that day, I poured the orange juice down the drain. Wow. Yeah. I didn't even go back and like, oh, I'll finish off what I have and <laughs> um, – I I did a bunch of the research from the different shows you guys had done before I started editing, where to get better saturated fat. I started eating a lot more fatty ground beef. Mm. I don't know that I went truly keto because I didn't do the numbers. I didn't do all of the math. Yeah. How did you get over your fear of fat? This is what most people have. How did I get over my fear of fat? I think we did that to him. We yeah. Just, I mean, it, it sounds like Brandon became ketogenic by osmosis. Yeah. By editing the podcast. Absolutely. Hearing you guys okay. talk about it. Fat. <laughs> it's the Gregorian chant. That's, That's it. it. It's got to be it. It's that calming factor of the, uh, the Gregorian fat chant. Yeah. Bring it on. What really sold me on it was... It took, I want to say, six to eight days before my back pain disappeared. Okay. But it did. Yeah. Disappeared. Gone. Yeah. Just gone. And that was the point where I was like, okay, I can give this three months. Now, this is one of the reasons I'm a big fan of Amy Berger's shows. Mm -hmm. Yeah. She's awesome. Yeah. And I don't want to cook my meals with a calculator. No. Right. Right. I, I, I like the idea of this diet being... Make sure there's a lot of fat in front of you and then eat until you're full. Right. Right. <laughs> exactly. It's that simple. Figure out the foods that you can eat. Figure out the foods you can. Eat the foods you can when you're hungry. Stop when you're That's full. That's it. That's exactly yeah. it. And I really loved that simplicity. Phasers on stun, Kirk out. That's it. Mm. I, I loved the simplicity <laughs> of it being a, a green list and a red list. Yeah. Is this food on the green list? Okay, go ahead and eat it, right? So, at the yeah. time, the diet was really heavy in avocado and meats, um, a lot of nuts, especially macadamia and pecan. 
the two exceptions I was making was I was still using whole milk in my coffee, mm-hmm. and I had found a low glycemic bread that I could eat. Yeah. And so I did that for three months, really strict, low carb. I wasn't testing my blood. I wasn't, you know, doing math with, with my meals, but I was really making sure to be as strict as I could with that was around the holidays. So the 6.0 blood test was October 20th of last year. And then through the holidays, you know, there are some polite moments where I ate some potatoes and carrots because it's what was served to me and I didn't want to be rude. Um, but sure. you know, just for the most part was really adhering to it. Yeah, we've all done that. And mm-hmm. three months to the day later, because I am OCD and I know that that's how long that test lasts. CDO. Um, I went, I went, I went and I got another HbA1c. Uh, at this point, I was visiting family in the United States and my HbA1c had dropped to 5.3. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. At the same time, I went and ahead and did my fasted insulin and it was 4.1. Nice. Wow. Yeah. Well done. Killer. I didn't know what that ever was. So I just emailed the two of you guys and I was like, Hey guys, I don't know what this means. Is this good? Uh, and the two of you obviously <laughs> came back with a lot of praise and explanation. And Richard gave me some charts and graphs yeah. that I still don't understand, but like he told me it was good. So I know I trust him. Yeah. We had no idea you were keto. That was a big surprise to us. It was a, it was a pleasant surprise, but it was a shock. Mm-hmm. What's really interesting about you, Brandon, and a lot of people who are in this Tofi situation is, you you didn't have years of insulin resistance that um, Richard and I had. You know, if you're obese and you know you you don't tolerate sugar, you probably have a level of insulin resistance that's been going on for a while, right? So for us, we um, you know our body fat took the bullet for us, and in, in, in instead of uh, spiking our blood sugar really really high. The fat took up the sugar energy, and there you go. It also gave us a big red flag that said, hey, dude, That's right. things are spinning out of control. We knew we were in trouble. We didn't right. know exactly how, what we could do about it. But people right. who are thin, uh, like you, who don't have that big obvious uh, marker that something is going wrong. I mean, you might develop a little pot belly in your 50s, and then in your 60s, all of a sudden, you've got you know, glucose control and in your seventies you start losing limbs, you know. And so that's the right. that that used to be the progression. Uh but uh you know it for for us, I mean both Carl and I in our thirties, we could see the 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 <laughs> the train at the end of the tunnel yeah. <laughs> coming right at us. But you were able to turn it around from six to five point three fairly quickly, what, three months? Three months to the day. Yep. Yeah. Yep. And then All I right. celebrated with a big box of cookies. <laughs> which which was a really really bad idea i'm going back to 6.0 again <laughs> what happened after that how did you feel two things happened i had expected to feel lethargic low energy and that didn't really mm. quite happen um what what i did notice was that my my mood was less stable mm. and the following day i noticed that my back pain had returned Right. Ah. And the back pain returned in a way that I had kind of forgotten it was gone. You get to a point of homeostasis where 
when your body feels good, your body isn't sending you signals saying like, hey, thanks for making my back feel better. That was really good yeah. of you. It just goes about <laughs> the status quo. Yep. Yep. And having had that waking up feeling of like, oh, yeah, this is what every day used to feel like. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm. I, I got to tell you, there's a corollary here. When I was half-assing keto, that's a technical term. <laughs> Before you put your whole ass into it. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. (laughs) (laughs) And it was a big venture, let me tell you. So, I would do low carb, but it was essentially keto for two or three days at a time. And then I would feel so good that I'd get lazy and sloppy. And I'm like, yeah, okay, this is good. I can go pick out at Burger King or whatever. And then, boom, right back to where I felt before. And it took you know, weeks and months of that before I was convinced that, you know, this really isn't the way I want to feel all the time. I like the way I feel after I've eaten low carb, but I was afraid of fat. Um, I was afraid that I wouldn't be able to have proper substitutes for things that I'd like to eat. And it was only until uh, really that I talked to Richard and we started talking about all these great recipes that I discovered the world of keto food can be really amazing. It's not that so, bad, is it? <laughs> it's terrible. <laughs> well, anyway, I, I just wanted to say that I, I had I had half-assed it quite a lot. And, and you get to feeling like, you know, you're invincible and you feel good. So, therefore, you can, in your case, you know, eat cookies. Right. And so... I knew at that point that I couldn't go back to a box of cookies at a time, but I did think that maybe I could find some moderation in a low-carb or moderate to low-carb diet rather than a straight keto diet. So, that January, after the blood work and after the, you know, the reward of cookies, um, I did actually start uh, drinking a little bit more whole milk again, um, mm-hmm. yeah, consuming uh, a little bit more bread, you know, sweeter nuts more of like the cashew side of things or i'd have a a cashew butter sandwich with the low glycemic bread Mm -hmm. and sure enough slowly i actually realized that not not so much the physical side of things but certainly the emotional side of things my anxiety was coming back around and uh, i i found myself realizing that I was self-medicating through the sweet foods, which was making the anxiety worse, which was drawing me to self-medicate with the sweet foods again. A vicious cycle. Yeah, right. This is a common thing we see with people who hear about keto and sort of do keto-ish, you know? They, They sort of do low carb, but they don't really commit. The thing is, you have to, number one, lose your fear of saturated fat because that's going to hold you back. Number two, you really have to lean in if you want the results. If you want to reduce the hunger, in your case, it's not hunger, but, you know, it's the inflammation and all those things. All of the benefits that you get of keto really only happen when you're 20 grams of carbs or less. I don't care if you think it's healthy sugar you know, it, or it's whole grains, or it's, uh, you know, fruit sugar. 
It doesn't matter. Yeah, healthy sugar is one of those really interesting concepts. Because I grew up with the idea that a glass of orange juice with your breakfast is good for you, right? Because orange juice, that is God's drink for you, right? So, like... God's drink! <laughs> That's right. Yeah, exactly. Sanctified. That's right. <laughs> Yeah, so all these people think that if they just do lower carb, you know, and but they don't count the carbs, but, you know, when you add them up, there's probably 50, 75, 100 grams of carbs a day, that it's okay. And it, it might be okay for some people, but for those of us who are metabolically deranged and really need to, for this diet to work, you really yeah, have to and lean in. You know, uh, this this is one of the reasons that, again, I've reached out to both of you privately to thank you and especially to you, Carl, for sort of being vulnerable with your process from the very beginning about this just being a collection of stories and you learning this process for yourself and kind of putting yourself out there while you went through the process because – the shows that really stood out for me were shows with Dr. Ballersted and Amber O'Hearn, mm. where, you know, somewhere inside of me, it almost seemed natural yeah. to eat nothing but meat. And you did carnivore for a while, right? Um, I'm almost entirely carnivore at this point. You know, I make exceptions that maintain a level of keto, but... I frequently go a week eating nothing but meat. Nice. Um, you know, red meat, chicken, fish, whatever it is. As I travel, yeah. I go to the grocery store, I start in the meat aisle, and I don't decide what I'm going to buy before I get there. I go and I find whatever this culture has as the best quality of meat with a lot of fat in it. That's what I go and I eat. Yeah. <laughs> I, I took Brandon to dinner mm. maybe a month ago at Daddy Jack's, and you said, I want meat and salt. And that's it. <laughs> Jack would have been okay with that, I think. Yeah. Yeah. And of course, they screwed it up, right? Didn't they? <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. Ja Jack was fine with it, but Jack wasn't there at the moment. And his staff, no. you know, his staff doesn't follow instructions as well as they follow protocol. Yeah, right. Yeah. Jack would have got it because Jack is keto now. Yeah. I did actually go full carnivore for a while. So, actually, I started full on carnivore about six weeks before Keto Fest this last summer. Wow. And you came up for Keto Fest and you actually did the um, the, the live streaming and all of the stuff at the second venue. Yeah, all that stuff that your new equipment is going to fix for you. Yeah, I, <laughs> I was the former fix for that. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> so, we were talking to Rob Ramsey at RD86 uh, and he looked at Carl when Carl was introducing me and he goes, so who's this guy? And I go, I'm the guy <laughs> Carl calls when he has to duplicate himself. <laughs> <laughs> You're That's also right. the guy with the detail-oriented view of everything whereas carl and yes. i are both very uh you know, you know high level uh we can't function without somebody detail level being able to make sure that all of the t's get crossed all of the i's get dotted and that's that's your role absolutely you guys are good at the thirty thousand foot view and i can only look through the telescope <laughs> <That's> <laughs> right, right. Yeah. <laughs> while i was at keto fest first of all um it was really amazing the sense of community that you guys have really built and yeah. the 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 caliber of people that you get to come to your event, which, you know, this was the second year that I had been there. And the first time it was the same thing. Everyone was really kind and, you know, very, very comfortable with one another. Like Richard says, meeting old friends for the first time. Right. Mm. While I was there, uh, I had the, the privilege of being introduced to a doctor, Dr. Annette Bosworth. 
Oh, right? yeah. I met her, too. She's awesome. Yeah, she's fantastic. Sure. She has a book called Any Way You Can, and uh, and her motto is Ketones for Life. Yeah. And uh, it's it's a really great story. I won't spoil it. It's uh, it's a tearjerker, but it it's definitely got a a good resolution at the end. That's about a mom's dementia, right? Uh, mom's cancer, right? Okay, uh, that's right. Yeah. Yep. Mm. And um and how keto not only saved her mom but gave her a new purpose in her practice. You know, here's a tip, kids. If you don't want to use the term keto, use the term fat adaptation. Yeah. Because that's more about your body than it is a sort of, quote-unquote, made-up technology, right? Yep. Yeah. Keto, ketogenic is sort of hype, whereas fat-adapted is what your body actually does when you apply the ketogenic diet. Right. One of them is a diet. The other one is a, a morphing of your body's capacity. Right. Yeah. And that's what we're really interested in. Which um, I can now say that even as a skinny guy um, – my body does have enough fat on it to manage a fast. Nice. What? You fast? Dude, you're a bean pole. You know what? You would think. <laughs> you would think that it would somehow make me, you know, skinny or that I'd fall down, right? Right. Oh, that guy doesn't have enough body fat to actually yeah. fast. Brandon, I have an idea why you might be able to fast despite being quite thin. Yeah, what are you thinking? So, you mentioned when you were a kid, you used to be able to eat a whole large pizza by yourself. And not put on any weight and and eat a, a tremendous amount of food and not put on too much weight. And even you're actually having to go find books to, to, to learn how to add extra body weight. It occurs to me that you have a really high fast metabolism and you can probably dial that up or down a lot more flexibility than someone like Carl or I can. And so it occurs to me that your body is more metabolically flexible in that it can choose what metabolic rate it's going to run at. And if you are going to give it lots of energy, it'll run at a much faster rate. And if you, for example, you need to fast for 72 hours, your body will dial back and keep you functional, uh, but able to draw a smaller amount of energy than someone like uh, Carl or I, if we were to fast, would draw down. Um, that actually does make a lot of sense because in the times that I was eating a lot of carbohydrate and a really high calorie diet, my body temperature tended to rise while I was asleep. Mm. And in the times that I was fasting, my body temperature didn't. Bingo. Yeah. Nice. Well, that's a good explanation for that. Uh, I went 76 hours with nothing but water and salt. Yeah. Whoa! And that was under the supervision of Dr. Bosworth, who, when I met her, um, she, she kind of has this internal medicine diagnostic brilliance of like house from the TV show. Yeah. Right. She diagnoses people at a distance. Yeah. During, in the party, she <laughs> was, she was telling me <laughs> she was doing, Totally doing Dr. House. <laughs> she, um, she actually had, uh, Daisy Brackenhall at the, at the very end of Keto Fest at the after party. Daisy walks over to me and she goes, um, I hate to do this to you, but there is a table of your fans over there that would like to meet you because they just found out that you edit the two keto dudes. And I was That's like, right. okay, yeah, I'm, I'm personable. <laughs> I can, I can come and meet a crowd. So I walk over to the table and, uh, I don't remember the exact words, so I'll paraphrase, but she looks me up and down and she goes, so do you know you're iron deficient or is this news to you? <laughs> <laughs> that's totally house. That's, that, now that's a hell of an introduction. <laughs> yeah. I was like, wait, but how, I mean, how do you know that? Like what, what, 
Yeah, what 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 gave that away? She goes, I could tell that by looking at the back of your head from across the auditorium when you were running the sound. I'm like, what? But at the same time, she has this bedside manner and this compassion about getting to know your whole story. And before she took me on as a patient, um, she wanted to know about my relationship with my mother and my father and the way that Mm -hmm. I was brought up and, you know, like every bit of what emotionally made me who I am, as well as what physically goes into my diet, my lifestyle, my exercise, things of that nature. Hmm. Um, And especially the the thing that goes around brain chemistry yeah right right this is a real full circle for you really brandon because you went through a process of of learning to distrust doctors telling you that they could fix everything in your mum's case and having to learn and teach yourself what you can and cannot eat um at very dire uh sort of risk uh if you do the wrong thing Finally, you met a doctor that uh, you're able to trust and and work with. It's a wonderful story. Sure is. You really nailed those two parts. Number one, I feel like I can trust her because I really get the sense that she is looking at the whole picture and is interested in giving me the things to do that we are, like you said, working together. I'm working with her. I'm not some you know, series of numbers in front of her or a 20 minute uh, exam that has to be fit into a day full of patients to make the quotas of what her practice needs to make. Um, she right. really does have this. It's definitely still data driven, but it is patient centric as an actual medical practice model. Mm. Um, and so the first thing, you know, right after keto fest, um, we started talking and, uh, she took me on as a patient and she needed a whole complete blood workup. And she called one of the local labs in the area that I'm from, cause she's actually from, uh, Sioux Falls, South Dakota. And, uh, the lab wanted $1,800 for the blood work that she was asking for. Now, wow. I'm only catastrophically insured. So for the most part, I pay all of my medical expenses out of pocket. And right. I I wanted to get her the information that she wanted to to hear about, but $1800 was a big bill to swallow. So I started doing some research and I found ultalabsonline.com which is mm-hmm. a place where you can go and actually order your own blood work for a whole lot less than the the standard going rate. Wow. Send us the link. We'll put that in the show notes. For sure. I got all the blood work that she wanted me to do for $275. Sweet. Wow. So. Wow. Whatever that is, 85% off or something ridiculous. 16%. Yeah, exactly. Yep. Wow. All of my blood markers were in healthy ranges, especially my cholesterols and my metabolics and my hormones and everything like that. The only number that was slightly below range was my iron. She actually <laughs> called it from across a room, yeah. having never yeah. met me. Looking at the back That's, of your head. <laughs> yep. Awesome. Now, what what is it that she saw in the back of your head that made her think? Something about the way my hair parts or the, like, width of the part or something. I think just magic. She is magical. <laughs> uh, oh, come on. We're developers. We need to know. <laughs> <laughs> so, have you ever seen the TV show Monk? Yes. Heck yeah. Yes. 
Right. So Tony Shalhoub plays this OCD guy where he walks into a room and all of the cops think they've seen all of the evidence that they could possibly have looked at. And he just kind of puts all the pieces together. And it's not necessarily that he saw a detail no one else did, but he saw how the details fit together. Right. Right. That's how Dr. Bosworth sees details. Wow. She can just see the details coming together in a way that other people may not have tied the two different pieces together, which is why she needed the whole blood work up. You know, we need more doctors like this. I think she's in a, an upcoming podcast episode from Daisy Brackenhall, the keto woman, right? Oh, that's great. I actually, I believe when this show posts, she will have just put out part one nice. of her two-part episode and part two will come the following week. So yeah, great. it's really good timing actually. Okay, so everybody listening who wants to hear more about dr bosworth go download uh, or subscribe to keto woman and that's ketowomanpodcast.com that's right absolutely so where are you now how how long has it been and what's your situation currently so i've kind of lost track <laughs> um i have been um full-on keto for you know, since before Keto Fest. Yeah. And you fasted for a few days. I did do a fast. Yeah. And then coming out of the fast, if you had told me a year ago that I had to go 12 hours without food for a blood test, I'd have looked at you and said, okay, but you'd better have one big f meal ready for me when I get home. <laughs> <laughs> Well, it's, it's amazing, isn't it? I mean, after you get fat adapted, fasting is just, I, I haven't eaten all day and it's almost midnight and I'm not uh, hungry. In fact, mm. I feel completely full. Mm. And that's one thing that happens when you get fat adapted. You burn your fat for energy. It fills you up. It makes you feel sated. Yeah, mm. that, that absolutely blew my mind. And what about your symptoms, your, your allergies, all those things? So, the allergies I have yet to really dive into because the problems are so severe when they come about. But uh, with doctor supervision, I'm I'm starting to incorporate a little bit of things. One of them is I can now eat butter, which I was so what? severely lactose intolerant before that, you know, if you cooked my steak in butter and rinsed it, I was nervous. <laughs> wow. Oh, my God. How good does that feel? Yeah. It actually <laughs> tastes like someone put sugar on my steak. <laughs> <laughs> Feels yeah. like a bowl yeah. of corn pops. It's amazing. Yeah. <laughs> sugar smacks. Wow. I am starting to slowly do that, but knowing how long I went with eating how much carbohydrate I ate, my body was in a state of hyperinflammation at a cellular and vascular and digestive level for so long that it is going to take me some time to correct course. Yeah. Yeah. But you've got the tools now. I do. I do. And the advice that I'm getting from the doctor is to stay the course, you know, like you guys say, keep calm, keto on, um, and, and just stay right. with it. And what really helps me is two things. Number one, I did the full blood workup. So I would put my blood against anyone else's that thinks that they have a healthy diet and, and are eating, you know, potatoes and rice with their lean chicken and, and lean beef. Um, right. And yeah. I have a doctor who's supervising this approach that I have to a new lifestyle of, of diet and eating. Nice. Wow. Cool. The number one thing for me that's made the biggest difference in the world is that when I travel, it used to be that I would need to 
be really, really cautious about what food I would bring with me on the travel day so that I knew that it was not going to get taken by security or customs sure. immigration yeah. or whatever. Because once I get through there and I'm in the, the airport, there are times there's just isn't a food available to me that isn't already prepared with something in it that's going to give me an adverse reaction. Mm. Yeah. And now that's not a problem. If I have a 36-hour travel day, whatever. I'll just not eat for 36 sure. hours and bring some really good salt. Yeah. Yeah. yeah you're, I mean, you're used to, you know, restricting your diet and just because you have to, it's not a big deal for you. Right. Yeah. But it's also fasting. It's an option. Yeah. Well, Brandon, are you willing to uh, stick around while we talk about some recipes? Absolutely. And uh, since I'm here in Uruguay, I figured that I would throw a recipe on there that's that's cultural and relevant yeah, to where I nice. am. Nice. <laughs> awesome. Yeah. I think it's time for some recipes. Oh, yeah. Gingivitis. Gingivitis. Richard, you go first. So mine's going to be really quick uh, because we really have to apologize to our sound guy. We're going long today. <laughs> I know. It's, it's an hour and a half already. That's been fun. So this one's actually going to be a product from one of my other recipes. I did a ham hock terrine recipe a while ago. And this is uh, a recipe where you take uh, the shins of pigs that have been smoked and it's called a hock. It's and it's the pig's hind leg. They're usually very cheap because they're an unwanted part of uh, an otherwise very delicious animal. So these are you know generally sold for for um, cheap as. And uh, it's got a lot of skin, a lot of connective tissue, and it needs to be really cooked for a really long time before it can be really edible. But this makes a really, really delicious stock. So my recipe is going to be the stock from mm. my ham hock terrine recipe. And uh, essentially the stock is so thick, it's like it's like uh, it's jello that you can almost cut into cubes and roll dice with. <laughs> you know, it's, oh, it's almost, it's almost nice. that thick. So what I do is I start off with a pressure cooker. One of these electric pressure cookers. I don't like the ones that sit on the gas stove, the regular ones, because they, they can be a little bit bomb-like <laughs> if you uh, don't look after them. But the electric ones are really good. They cost about 40 bucks. It's, it's not a lot. And, and you get a couple of hocks. I can fit normally two, sometimes three small hocks into a, into a pressure cooker. And add yep. to that, I'm going to add uh, half of an onion. My my recipe for the ham hock terrine, I use two whole onions, but you really don't need a lot. So I put half an onion. I also put like, um, yeah, stalks from celery or stalks from parsley or, um, you know, uh, a, a, a onion skin that I had from a previous recipe or, you know, bits of garlic. So we're not, we're not going to eat this. Uh, what we're going to do is we're going to cook it down and mm. the skin of the hock is going to turn from collagen, which is the connective tissue, into gelatin. And then that will yeah. come up in the stock. Oh, yeah. And I had two bay leaves and a couple of sprigs of thyme. And I put a little bit of water in the bottom of the pot. Uh, I want to get the water up to the level of the hocks. So I want to have them fully submerged. And then I just crank it. I crank it for an hour. And that's the longest my pressure cooker will run for. And then I open it, test it out. And I want to make sure that the skin on the outside of the hocks is falling apart. 
If it isn't falling apart, I put it back in again. I put it in for another hour. This last load, I made some ham hock terrine for Carl when he comes over, and I made the stock. Ooh. It took me four hours to render the skin down to the point that it was gelatinous. After about an hour, I took out the actual flesh of the animal because uh, I could I used that flesh for the, the ham hock terrine. Um, mm-hmm. I didn't want to totally, you know, devastate that. I just wanted to render down all of the skin. So anyway, render it down down a lot, and then you just filter off the the uh, the uh, particulate matter, and what you have left is an absolutely delicious, delicious stock. <laughs> it's kind of like it's like the it's like imagine liquid bacon. <laughs> That's what it is. And you know, the other thing is that your entire kitchen is going to smell of bacon. You know, which is uh, a lot better than ocean breeze or orchid rain or whatever the smell <laughs> yeah. you have currently in your kitchen is. It's the best smell to wake up to. Mm, bacon. Mm. So that's my recipe. What do you got, Carl? Okay. Well, I have. I can't believe I haven't done this before on two keto dudes, but it's crustless pizza. Oh. Okay. Yeah. So this is an easy recipe that requires none of the shopping and ceremony of Fathead or Carl's Head or even Matt's Head pizza. Mm. Shout out to Matt Murray for perfecting yeah. the Carl's Head pizza ratios. Yeah. But it's very easy to do. So your ingredients are, number one, a cast iron or stainless steel skillet. As a matter okay. of fact, any skillet will do. Just remember, if you're using nonstick skillets, to make sure that you use plastic or wood spatulas. Don't use metal spatulas in nonstick pans. You don't want to ingest that stuff. All right. You need two tablespoons of butter, two cups of shredded mozzarella, and uh, you're going to use one in one cup. Uh, optionally, you can use some low-carb pizza sauce like Rao's Marinara, which is three grams of carbs per half a cup, and toppings to taste. So, one cup of this mozzarella is going to be your base, and then you put toppings on it. So, these these could be herbs like oregano, garlic, or even Parmesan-Romano cheese, um, uh, obviously mozzarella cheese as a topping. Other toppings would be sausage that you saute beforehand, bacon, ricotta in moderation, onions in moderation, peppers or capsicum if you're Australian, mushrooms, <laughs> <laughs> chorizo, which you saute beforehand, pepperoni, that kind of thing. And you need tin foil, either that or um, a cover for your saute pan. So here's what you do. You heat the skillet to medium heat mm-hmm. and melt the butter. Now you turn it down to low and add half the mozzarella, one cup, or enough to coat the bottom of the pan. If your pan is really big and it's not enough, a cup is not enough, just add more. So is this butter-fried mozzarella? (laughs) Butter-fried mozzarella, exactly. That's a good start to a recipe. It's a wonderful thing. Exactly. That could be the recipe right there. That's it. Just brown the mozzarella, eat, and enjoy. Yeah. All right. So, what you want to do, there's no cover on it. You want to put it on low heat and just wait for the bottom to brown. And you can use your wood spatula, your plastic spatula, or if you're in cast iron, a metal spatula, pick up the corner. And when you butter the bottom, make sure you put a little butter around the edges of the pan. Because what's going to happen is the cheese is going to go out to the edges. And if it sticks at the edges, that's a problem. So, you make sure it's brown and golden, 
And now you add your toppings, whether it's, like I said before, uh, oregano, cheese, sausage, bacon, garlic, basil and tomato. Whatever. Yeah. You yeah. Know ba- basil. Yeah. Great herb. I can't believe I forgot basil. Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, roasted red peppers. Another great. Mm, roasted peppers. Yeah. Yeah. Anything that you can think of to put on your pizza. It's fine. All right. So now what you do is you keep it on low and put the lid on after the toppings are on or tin foil and you just cook it until the toppings are melted. It's going to take four or five minutes. But the lid is going to keep the heat in. So it's going to really braise it from the top, right? Right. That's the idea. That's the idea. You want the bottom crispy and you want the top melty. And you want the toppings already cooked so they don't have to cook on the pizza. So now here's the fun part. You need some sort of cookie sheet or uh, a, a wood or a whatever kind of cutting board or something to move the pizza onto. And you need to go around the edges with a spatula and keep digging into the center until it all comes out. And don't break it. Now you use a couple of spatulas to move it out of the fry pan onto your cookie sheet or, um, you know, a cutting board or whatever it is. And now you can use a pizza cutter to cut it in slices, or you can use a knife, however you want to do it and serve it. And let me tell you, it's, you, you're not going to miss the crust because it's crispy on the bottom and it's melty on the top and it's all the pizza flavors you know and love. Sounds good. Enjoy. Yeah. Yeah. So that's what I got. Crustless pizza. Brandon, let's hear your recipe. So my recipe is a, is a traditional asado done the way that the Uruguayans do it. Most of South America has one form or another of doing this. And the recipe's ingredients are about as simple as a list gets. Um, but it is not a, it's not a fast cook process. Mm. The preparation is actually going to be the majority of your time. Uh, the ingredients are a really good fatty cut of beef yep. and salt. Yeah. That's the end of the ingredients. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's perfect. <laughs> perfect. Uh, what you're going to need is uh, an outdoor um, fireplace of some sort. Yeah. The way they do it out here is uh, it's a it's essentially a concrete slab that has space to have a a fire first and then to also have an area that you rake the coals under a, you know, a freestanding grill rack. Right. And so you get yourself a nice, good blazing fire going. And as the logs, uh, continue to cook through to the point that they are just, you know, charcoal size embers here, they actually have a a holding device. It's kind of like a, a large wire mesh that the the coals will fall through as they break apart and then you just rake them underneath the actual grill part. And so once you have this, you know, beautiful red bed of embers, you let it heat up the actual grill plate for, you know, about two to three minutes. And then you lay your steak on top of it. You give it about three, three and a half minutes per inch of thickness of the steak mm. and then flip it over and give it not quite the same, 
move it to a plate to let it rest, top with salt, and then it's uh, amazing uh, to just eat it as it is. Yeah. It's a cultural dish here. The idea is that you're not going to cook dinner fast. You're going to have this roaring fire and share a few beers and some wine. And, yeah. you know, everybody talks around the fire for a while. And you just keep this bed of embers going. And, you know, you, you cook your asado and you bring up the next piece when you're ready. And it's just, it's a, a beautiful way to cook. And it's, um, you know, it's as low tech as you can get. And you get that sort of... Whatever the flavor of the wood is, you get to sort of taste it in the meat, which is just sure. delicious. Yeah. I got to tell you, you know, fire, meat, salt. <laughs> it's so primal and it's so good. You don't need anything else. So good. Especially if it's a wood fire and you get some smoke in there. Mm, yeah. Brandon, I got to tell you, this has been a great show um, for me personally because of our friendship. And uh, I never expected that you, of all people, would benefit from a ketogenic diet, although I knew that your allergies, it, you know, reactions were many. It's just, it just warms my heart so much to hear of your success. And uh, I'm just really, it really touches me. Thanks, man. I, um, I, I appreciate you know, the, the support that you've given me through the years, as well as, and I've told you this before, I really appreciate the example that you set, not just doing the diet for yourself, but the way that you approached it with science being the foundation and really having it be about the information yeah. and putting the information out there for those who want it and not forcing it on those who don't, yeah. um, which, you know, I've done the same thing. And like I was saying, um, I'm an N equals one, but I'm also an N equals one plus one because I have a friend who mm. uh, had you know, tried every kind of dietary method that he could, um, was, you know, busting his butt at the gym with a personal trainer. And what he hadn't realized is that he had gone really, really low carb, but was consuming far too much protein. And so I just told him, I was like, Hey, just try cutting back on the protein and adding a little bit more fat into your diet and just see what happens. Mm -hmm. And he's now sold. He's a, he's an every week listener. He's even made plans with Joan Walker to go up and visit her farm because, you know, he, he at some point in his life would like to actually raise cattle. Nice. Wow. He is on the bandwagon. Mm. Awesome. Thank you very much, Brandon. It's been great talking to you and I'm sure you'll come back and tell us about your progress. I look forward to it. All right. And that's the show, Richard. Of course, if you have anything you want to tell us, something we said wrong, something you don't agree with, some more research you found to support or refute anything that we've said, send it by email to dudes at twoketodudes.com or post it on our website. And you can follow us on Twitter, Twitch, Facebook, YouTube, and Instagram at Two Keto Dudes. Make sure to use the hashtag Two Keto Dudes. And of course, if you want to join the free ketogenic forum, it's forum.twoketo.com. And you can have a look around the ketogenic forum without needing to create an account by starting with success.2keto.com. And if useless swag is your fancy, like t-shirts, coffee mugs, and all that other junk with witty keto sayings on them, head over to gear.2keto.com. And if you want a shot at getting some of that swag for free, join the 2 Keto Dudes fan club. You'll be eligible to win something in every show. Go to fanclub.2keto.com. And if you feel like supporting our forums and all the podcasts we produce, like 2 Keto Dudes, Keto Woman with 
Daisy Brackenhall, Keto Families and Keto Kids with Mark Miller and Karen Mangiacotti, the Obesity Code Podcast with Jason Fung and Megan Ramos, think about making a monthly pledge on our Patreon page at patreon.2keto.com. You can also see all of our podcasts and other videos on YouTube at youtube.2keto.com. And if you haven't already, go leave a review on Apple Podcasts. That's how new people get to know about what we do. Two Keto Dudes is brought to you by Two Keto LLC, who strives to support the low-carb community with podcasts and other publications. Richard, keep calm, keto on, and fast when you can. Yeah, keep calm, keto on, Carl, and come down to Australia and go to KetoFest downunder.com. Oh, okay. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Thanks, Brandon. And we'll see you next time on Two Two Keto Keto Dudes. Dudes. And One Tofi Dude.